I was thinking that I've heard that Dr. Naderhood liked to do midnight New Year's Eve services, and that would be a good song to <laughs> sing for that. At midnight, I will give thee praise. Our scripture passage this evening is the Ten Commandments. In the bulletin, you have Exodus 20, but I did instruct you before that I think it would be good for us to hear the law read from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so we're going to do that again tonight. It's Pew Bible, page 282. Pew Bible, page 282. You know, the reading of God's word. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant, or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long, and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder and then the three commandments that we're looking at tonight, the seventh, eighth, and ninth. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. And then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 41, 42, and 43 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 54 and 55. We can read the answers together with one voice. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? 
God condemns all unchastity. We should therefore thoroughly detest it and, married or single, live decent and chaste lives. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why He forbids everything which incites unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat him as I would like others to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. What is God's will for us in the ninth commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it kind and candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That's the teaching of the Catechism. Proverbs 4.23 says... Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This is the call to watch your hearts, for we know that all the things of life flow out from our hearts. A.W. Pink once said, for the Christian to keep his heart, or to guard his heart, means for him to pay close attention to the direction in which his affections are moving, to discover whether the things of the world are gaining a firmer and fuller hold over him, or whether they are increasingly losing their charm for him. In tonight's sermon, we're going to be discussing the 7th, 8th, and ninth commandments, which call us to love of neighbor and gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The catechism brings us to the heart of the matter concerning these commandments, showing us that one of the primary ways in which we love our neighbor is to keep a close eye on our heart. So the theme for... This evening, in gratitude for our salvation, I put four an hour together and made four. For our salvation, in gratitude for our salvation, we are called... To love our neighbor we're called to love our neighbor by being devoted by 
to purity. Oh, generosity. And sincerity. And if you couldn't figure it out already, point number one is purity. Point number two, generosity. And point number three is sincerity. Purity is, of course, about Lord's Day 41. Lord's Day 42 is about generosity. Lord's Day 43 is about sincerity. So um, chastity is the word that the catechism uses. Uh, generosity in, is the opposite of greed. It's giving of what uh, God has blessed us with. And sincerity is, of course, truthfulness. So we should not uh, lie or give false testimony about our neighbor. Since we're covering uh, three commandments this evening, uh, I want to do it in a specific way so that we uh, don't get confused. So the first thing that we're going to do, or what we're, how we're going to handle each one of these commandments is this. Uh, I'm going to go through what the catechism says about each commandment, line by line. And then I'm going to bring us to a New Testament a scripture passage that I think expresses the apostolic teaching on how we are to apply in gratitude uh, this commandment to our lives now as redeemed Christians. And then I will explain the threefold exposition of the law, uh, the intention, the negative expression, and the positive expression as we have been doing on each commandment uh, that we go through. So looking at purity, Lord's Day 41... We're going to go through line by line what this says. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That is, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? The answer is God condemns all unchastity. So right off the bat, we're being told that this commandment extends beyond marriage itself. Uh, this commandment is inclusive to all aspects of sexual purity. What is it that God has ordained when it comes to sex? How is it used rightfully? Um, one person said, if there was a fire in your house, you would be concerned unless you were told that that fire was going on in your fireplace or your stove. That's a contained or controlled fire, something that is a blessing, right? And so, uh, so is sex. If it is used rightly, if it is within its God-given boundaries, and it, it is something that is good. It is something that is a blessing. It is something that should be uh, celebrated and not something that we should be uh, ashamed about. It is a gift from God, right? But this commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, extends beyond marriage. It says God condemns all unchastity, and we should therefore thoroughly detest it. Our attitude... Two, unchastity is detest. It's disgust. It's something that we look at and we say, this is not what God wants. This is not something that is blessed. And this is extremely important because we live in a day and age where what God says about the way sex is to be used is not celebrated at all. 
not celebrated at all. So we have to have a proper attitude about the things that maybe even we become so desensitized to in our day and age. And those are all things that are beyond the bounds of what God has ordained when it comes to sex. We should detest it, and then we see here, married or single. Now, maybe many of you would think that this commandment is something that only applies to married persons. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But, in fact, when a single person uh, believes the word that God has said about the way that sex is to be used and honors that, he actually is loving his neighbor by uh, validating the married covenant of others. He's saying God has said uh, sex is, is saved for marriage. It is ordained to be something that is within marriage. And so as a single person, when I uh, do not engage in sexual behaviors outside of marriage, I am honoring uh, what God has said about sex. And that is loving one's neighbor, of course, um, we see that as well. And then we should live decent and chaste lives. Live decent and chaste lives. But the question that comes next is, does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? And as it has been the catechism's continual pattern, we see that murder does not only mean actually killing someone uh, with a knife or with a gun or whatever we may do, uh, an actual deed of killing, but it extends to hatred of one another and so on and so forth. So is this only limited to, to what we define as adultery? Adultery is um, having sex, uh, a married person having sex with somebody that's not their spouse. That's adultery, committing adultery. Is that what this commandment is expressly stating? Is that the narrow grounds of this commandment, the narrow expression of this commandment, and then the answer, of course, is uh, no, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and these words that the catechism are getting are from 1 Corinthians 6. In the church in Corinth, there was a case in which a man was there at the church, and he had his father's wife, and this was something that Paul says is even unheard of among the pagans or the Gentiles. But here you have this and nobody's saying anything about it. And so Paul goes into this explanation about the way that we as Christians are meant to be sexually pure. And he says, don't you understand that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your bodies are members with Christ. Shall I take the members of Christ and then join them together with a prostitute? He uses very strong language here to help us see the fact that now we as Christians, married or single, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to think a certain way about sexual acts that is in line with uh, God's salvation, God's redemption that he's given to us, and the down payment that he's given us in the Holy Spirit that now dwells within us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, so body and soul, body and soul become connected now. And this is important even in the early church because there was this view going around, Gnosticism, this idea that the physical is inherently bad and that the spiritual is all that is good. And people were using this, this view 
that the physical is inherently bad and the spiritual is, is good, to say that one can bifurcate their life into these categories of physical and spiritual. And so one could engage in sexual physical acts without having any effect upon their spiritual life. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. Body and soul. Body and soul, these things are connected. And God wants both to be kept clean and holy. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 6 that don't you know that sexual sin is against your body? It's against your body. So, this is something where God is instructing us from his word that not only is he concerned about the inner reality of our souls, our hearts, attitudes about sex, right? Um, But he's also concerned with our outward expression, what we do in our bodies. And because these are connected, we realize that what we do in our bodies has a connection with our inner spiritual life. And what we do in our inner spiritual life has a connection with our bodies. Now, this is something that we are supposed to have a proper attitude about. That is to say that if someone says, all right, I won't have sex unless it's inside a marriage, but they're kind of dragging their feet and they're doing this begrudgingly and they're so, um, you know, not very happy about the fact that God just won't let me have fun... That's not right either, is it? Now, the Pharisees would have been okay with that. But God's not okay with that. God wants us to see that the way, what, in what situations he's ordained sex are actually good, blessing, wonderful. And we're supposed to have a proper attitude about it. This is why he forbids everything which incites unchastity. So it's, Not simply adultery that is forbidden, but it's also actions, looks, talk, thoughts, desires. What's being expressed here about the seventh commandment is... So much a conversation about modesty. Now, I know when you hear that word, you think to yourself, modesty is is only about women and the fact that they should dress appropriately lest they cause a brother to stumble. But modesty is much broader than that. It's not only about that. It's about our hearts, right? Right? So much New Testament instruction is about the fact that women shouldn't wear braided hair or have jewelry and those kinds of things. Why is it Paul's talking about these things? Because in that day and age, wearing such a thing would be like expressing how rich you are and how much more wealthier than you are than others. So it was an attitude of the heart. But men and women's attitude should be one in which we say that what's most important about us is our godly character and not what we have. What's most important about us is, is expressed in what we do, what we look like, how we talk, our thoughts, our desires. The inward beauty is more important than the outward beauty. That's what's being told to us. Now, the, uh, the New Testament scripture passage that I think really... Uh, 
helps us see the way that the apostles applied this, uh, this concept, this commandment, the fourth commandment is, or the seventh commandment is Ephesians 4, 1 through 8. There's many other ones we could pick, but we're going to turn there and look at that scripture passage together. Ephesians, or not Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians 4. When I, write, I wrote the right thing down and said the wrong thing. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, and I wasn't smart enough to tell you what page that was on because I don't know because I wasn't smart enough to find the page. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8 is on page 1840. This is Paul struck, instructing the church in Thessalonica and he says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Here's how we are to live as Christians who have been redeemed. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. This includes all the sexual code of Leviticus. This includes all that is being told to us in the seventh commandment about adultery. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, just like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You see how Paul pulls the inward and outward realities together. He says, you've been redeemed. You've been saved. Uh, you, you are hearing this from God who gives you the Holy Spirit. This is the way you're called to live and to walk. So the threefold exposition of the seventh commandment is this, the intention. We are to show God our gratitude by loving our neighbors so that chastity is promoted inside and outside of marriage. Second, negative expression. God condemns all unchastity, so we too should thoroughly detest it. God forbids everything which incites unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires. And the positive expression is this. Because we are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, God wants both to be kept clean and holy, reflecting the Spirit's work in our hearts and all we think, say, and do. So that is purity. Now let's look at generosity. This is Lord's Day 42. Thank you. Generosity. Question 110, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? It says, thou shalt not steal, right? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law. So in his law, uh, theft is outlawed. Robbery is outlawed. And it is punishable by the law that he gave to the Israelites. But in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as, and then he goes through this list, the catechism goes through this list, and not inaccurate measurements, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interests, or any other means forbidden by God. So what's being talked about here is, in a sense, justice. When it comes to our... Um, when it comes to issues of money, right... Or business. 
God is concerned not only with us not stealing or thieving. We might read, okay, thou shalt not steal. Well, maybe I stole a pack of gum when I was six years old at the convenience store, but I'm pretty good on that. I, I, th- I think if you went around and you asked people, do they think that they are upholding what God desires of them in the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, they would probably tell you, yeah, you know, I'm not stealing. I'm not stealing anything. But as we've said, it's going deeper than that. So God outright uh, bans thieving and robbery. We're not supposed to steal, right? We're not supposed to rob. But he also is concerned with justice in the way that we handle business, in the way that we use our money. And these, uh, this list here, inac- inaccurate measurements, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. Uh, you look there at the, the, uh, the scripture references given, and you'll see that not only in God's law, but also in the Proverbs and in the Psalms and in the Prophets, uh, God is very concerned with equal weights, equal measures. I was just talking to my boys about this the other day when we were going through Proverbs, the balance scale, right? Um, and maybe a, a way in which we could consider that to be um, more modern would be to say uh, that God doesn't want us to, uh, to be a part of any sort of uh, money-gaining exercise that is unjust, that is corrupt in any way. And this this requires wisdom in our day and age. This requires wisdom in our day and age. Back when I was growing up, a lot of talk was about piracy, downloading music that we didn't pay for. And maybe many of us would think, that's not a big deal, you know, I'm just downloading music that I didn't pay for, but that's stealing from the person who has produced such music and now does not have uh, any funds for that. Uh, this, is, this requires so much... Uh, so much wisdom because there used to be a day and age where I would give you a chicken and then you would give me flour or whatever it may be. And it was more personal that way, right? But now that we have money, now that we have funds, now that the people that we are mainly dealing with are banks and businesses, it becomes less personal. We have to be wise in the way that we handle our finances, handle uh, our business. And we have to do it in such a way that proclaims that we are, uh, belong to the God of justice, who's concerned with justice and equal measurements and does not want us to participate in any sort of false money-gaining money scheme. How many things do you see on Facebook about getting money quick and all that kind of stuff? It's all over, right? But we, we shouldn't be participating in those kinds of things. Um, this is for the sake of our neighbor. But then here at the end it says, He forbids all greed. Now we see this is the root of the, the matter. Because the love of money and the desire to gain more and more and more is really the reason why people steal. And it's the reason why people engage in fraudulent or false or unjust business practices. They don't care how they get it. They just want to get it, right? But God forbids greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you? And this commandment, question 11, says that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good. So our thoughts are supposed to be for our neighbor's good in the way that we deal with money, in the way that we use our money, right? That I treat him as I would like others to treat me. Would I like to be cheated or swindled? 
known. So this is what we often call the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or yes. That's the golden rule. And that I work faithfully so that I might share with those in need. So work that I might share. That's what generosity is about. Generosity is about the idea that God has blessed us abundantly. And therefore, what am I to do with this blessing? Now, we can be like the man whose fields grew so much that he built bigger barns and said, I have all that I need. I'm just going to enjoy my life and rest. And Jesus said, that man is a fool because God says, I've come to take your life tonight. Or we can say, with what God has given to me, do I wish to bless others? The scripture passage that I want us to look at concerning this would be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 28. Now, and I'll, I, instead of reading the whole thing, I'm going to uh, kind of summarize the, uh, the main thrust of the passage and then tell you uh, what I think uh, the, way that, the way that Paul, the apostle, is applying the Eighth Commandment, uh, Thou shalt not steal, into the lives of redeemed Christians, right? So Ephesians 4, uh, verse 17 through 28 can be found uh, on 1,821 in your pew Bibles. So, Paul is saying you shouldn't live as you once lived because you now are in Christ, right? And he says you should take off the old man and put on the new self. You should take off the old sinful fleshly ways and put on Christ. And then he says this, starting in verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul says one of the ways that this looks is verse 27 or verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So Paul connects the inward change that has happened in our salvation to the outward expression of our lives. He's saying the way that we apply the law of gratitude to the Eighth Commandment is that we no longer steal. We no longer participate in unjust business practices. We no longer abuse and hurt others and neighbors so that we can gain more and more for ourselves, but we consider that we should work hard, that we may give to those who are in need. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And in the end of that letter, Paul instructs Timothy to tell the rich that they shouldn't be rich, that they shouldn't give up all that they have. No, that's not what he says. He says that they should see the richness that God has blessed, with, blessed them with and seek to grow in the riches of heaven. For there, moth and rust cannot destroy, right? So that's generosity, that's the uh, Lord's Day 42 and the Eighth Commandment. And then the Ninth Commandment is, uh, of course, thou shalt not give false testimony against thy neighbor. I just realized I put one for generosity. Three, sincerity or truthfulness, right? And Lord's Day 43. 
1.12 says, what is God's will for us in the ninth commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone. So no false testimony, but there's more, right? Twist words. I'm going to do what I did last time. Just bring this over here. Gossip. Slander. Condemning. I shouldn't give false testimony, but I also shouldn't twist someone's words. I shouldn't gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, so, so the, the catechism is saying this extends beyond the court, although thou shalt not give false testimony against thy neighbor, uh, rings of a courtroom setting, right? I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses. So the devil is uh, the king of lies. He's been lying from the start, as Christ says. And so if we participate in lying, we are being like the devil. Like the devil. Of course, nobody wants to be like the devil. So we are said, told that if we continue in such ways that we will call down God's intense anger upon us. And the positive expression here, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. So here in, in Lord's Day 43, it's telling us this is not only narrowly about a courtroom setting wherein you should speak the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God, but this is also about in our daily lives and the way that we use our words as James says, the, the tongue is, is so dangerous. It's so, uh, it, it, it can destroy lives. The tongue such a small part of our body, but it's like the rudder of a ship, right? Or it's like the spark that sets a forest on fire. That we should use our tongues, our words, for lifting up, for encouraging, for truth. That we are people who believe in the truth, Jesus Christ. And so we should be people who are known for being truthful, who are sincere, who can be counted upon, who speak only what is true with all that we can do. Love the truth. Speak it candidly. Openly acknowledge it. I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. So this is very, very hard, I think, if you take a moment to think about this. Maybe we say, yeah, we're not liars, but, I mean, how many fishing stories have we twisted to make us sound a little bit greater? How often have we been so quick to accuse someone, slandering their good name without any hearing or just cause? We are so quick to use our words to cut and to hurt rather than to build up and to consider those who are hurt by the words that we say. We should not be doing such. We should be lifting up our neighbor's good name. The, the passage I want us to look at for this is 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 can be found in your pew Bibles on page 
1890, because we're going to look at verses 8 through 17. Peter does the same thing. This is the apostolic application of the ninth commandment. He's speaking to the church and he's saying, All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. This is a church that's receiving persecution. But with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What Peter is saying here is under this persecution, it might be very easy to speak harsh words against those who are coming against you, against your enemies. It might be easy to slander them or to gossip about them or to twist words about them or to condemn them. But Peter says, your testimony is in the fact that you do not use your lips for evil and deceitful speech, that you do not lie about these people, that you continue to do good that you may have a good testimony before them, and that when they harm you or come against you, uh, it only comes back upon them for what they are saying of you is not true, for you continue to live a life of sincerity and truthfulness, right? The threefold expression of the ninth law, ninth commandment, is the intention. We are to show gratitude to God by loving our neighbor and by loving the truth. The negative expression is God's will is that we never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's word, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, we should avoid lying and deceit of any kind. And the positive expression is, further, we should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it, and we should do what we can to guard and advance our neighbor's good name. Now, I just realized that I forgot to do the threefold expression for the Eighth Commandment, and if you want to know that, you can come ask me about it after uh, the service, because uh, our time is up, but I want us to see here one final thing that I want to bring to our attention, is that having been saved, we, because of our inward change, should express that outwardly, and we should keep a close eye on our hearts that we might love our neighbor by being devoted to purity inside and outside of marriage that we might be devoted to generosity and such that we express the proper way that we are to use our funds and our money and the blessings God has given us, that we might help others in need, and that we should be people of sincerity and truthfulness because we believe in the one who is the truth, the way, and the life. With all that being said, I pray that uh, God's commandments, the 7th, 8th, and ninth. Uh, may be used as a law of gratitude for us as Christians to live holy before him and seek to please him in all of our ways for what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us instruction on how we can live uh, lives that please you. 
We thank you that you have not left us powerless to do this, but have granted us your Holy Spirit that we may be empowered to live lives of purity, generosity, and sincerity uh, for your sake and for the sake of your Son, in whose name that we pray. Amen. Please rise to sing with me from the 